I'm Dr. Michelle Perez. And I'm Billy Liggett. And this Rise with Orange. Joining us today is Dr. David Tillman, Assistant Professor and Chair for the Department of Public Health. He's here with us today to talk about the upcoming, and let me try to say this correctly, Rural Oral Health Summit. Got it. First try. Um, That's coming up on February the 10th, and uh, there's a lot to learn about this event. I think it's a a great idea. This will be a first for Campbell. But before we get to that, uh, welcome to our show, Dr. David Tillman. I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. We ask everybody this first question, and you are no exception. How did you get to Campbell University? Oh, yeah. So I came to Campbell in the late 90s, uh, mid to late 90s, um, as an undergrad. And so um, after finishing my undergrad degree, I stayed in the area, spent about a decade working with public schools, implementing uh, public health approaches to helping improve uh, outcomes and programs and services for children, uh, students with disabilities and uh, ended up working for the state as a strategic planning consultant doing that work when Campbell started a public health program. And I was the first faculty hired uh, with that program, and that was about six years ago. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware that, that, was, that the program was that young. So that came around the same time as the PA program and yeah. the, right before the medical school. So you kind of got on board here with the whole influx of, of uh, health sciences here at Campbell. So e- even since you've gotten here, the entire uh, that scope of our what we offer here education wise has just grown drastically yeah i mean so and so i guess you are you housed out at the uh health scientist campus we are we're on the health science campus in smith hall and it's been an incredible experience over the last six years to just um, be a part of this growth and the excitement um, as our campus has taken what pharmacy laid a foundation for 30 years ago and really built on that to address some of these other health uh, concerns. When you were an undergrad, did you did you see that coming here? And... I, I had no idea. Yeah. I really didn't see myself working in public health either, so that was a, a long and winding road, but um, one I'm very grateful for. Well, what did you get your undergraduate yeah. degree in? English, actually. In English. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, shout out you're to like the all, English You're department. like all English majors. You never know what they're <laughs> going to end up doing. It is. It's a great degree for uh, people who uh, aren't exactly sure but are really curious. And that's been pretty much me for uh, ever since. So, so what, what I'm always curious as to what uh, how somebody gets to where they are today. So what flipped the switch to public health? Um, yeah, so that's a really interesting story, too. Uh, I was Before um, I moved into education, I was actually in Campbell's Divinity School. So after leaving English, I went to the Divinity School, which was amazing. It was great. But um, I began working in the schools and discovered a need that I was really passionate about and figuring out how students with disabilities could be successful in public school. Um, and so that just I followed that passion. And um, so many you know, days, years down the road, I'm back at Campbell talking about public schooling, public health. Um, just how our communities, especially in rural places, can be uh, healthier and safer places. To be. And we're going to talk about the Oral Health Summit uh, here in a little bit, but kind of staying on the topic of rural. I know Campbell just recently launched its Rural Philanth- 
philanthropic analysis. I got rural correct, but I got <laughs> philanthropic wrong there. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's this they, they just celebrate celebrated National Health, uh, Rural Health Week, and mm-hmm. um, seems to be a new focus for Campbell. And I and you are a part of that now. And so um, explain explain that direction. Why why Campbell is putting so much of its focus on uh, rural communities and um, helping those who are underserved. Absolutely. Our uh, public health program's focus is rural health, and so that's our concentration. And we're one of a, about six programs that are uh, with the Association of Schools and Programs of Public Health that has a focus in rural health. And we see it as... In the state or in, in the, the nation. nation? Yeah. That's amazing. We're one of two programs east of the Mississippi. So, um, yeah, it's a rare thing. Although, you know, uh, so 80 uh, of the 100 counties, depending on how you count it, of North Carolina, for instance, are rural. And so it affects so much of the population, and yet um, it's, it's under, uh, understudied, underappreciated. Uh, and, and it impacts people in, in really profound ways. The things like even really basic things like quality of life up to life expectancy. It has been, it, it was shaped based on whether or not you live in a metro area. And I think it's a perfect fit for Campbell because Campbell has always been, it's in the Campbell's DNA to, um, to be about rural places and, and to be focused on small towns and small communities. And so as we expand our health sciences, it just makes perfect sense for us to try to meet that health equity challenge that exists mm-hmm. outside of the city limits. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, as I think about... Our, our health services programs, and as you were describing the growth that we've had in the last few years, I can't help but think that Campbell is really is and becoming a destination mm. for students and for professionals that are interested in impacting rural communities. Um, and you mentioned equity. Mm. Can you share how this is part of social justice? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, it's, that's crucial to, to our vision for how this work uh, is done by sort of um, adopting an equity lens and looking at health outcomes as part of a um, much broader um, conversation about what our communities should be and are uh, and for whom. <laughs> um, you know, the reality is that in the United States, there's really great health system that um, not everybody who lives in the United States gets to take advantage of. And so um, we see it as, uh, as an outgrowth of, of Campbell's calling to be about purposeful lives, meaningful service to our neighbors, um, to really say, you know, it's, it's not right that you live longer based on your zip code. And so, yeah, and, and this idea that it, we're becoming a destination for students who are also see that as a calling or passion is absolutely true. And so we have students come into our our program who are looking for a way to become involved in uh, changing that reality for communities. You mentioned life expectancy and uh, interesting, interestingly enough, that's a number that's actually gone down in the past few years in in the U.S. And a big Mm -hmm. reason for that is the prescription drug epidemic. And uh, I know I've written a few stories on what our medical school is doing as far as a opioid curriculum and uh, attending conferences. Uh, in your in your role, uh, are, are you working um, anyway with the opioid epidemic? And uh, um, what what is Campbell's public health department doing in that area? Yeah, we've been involved in that for years. Um, one of the biggest projects we were involved in um, at the beginning was something called Project Lazarus, right. which actually is a project that started out of rural North Carolina 
and it was uh, led by a pastor that was trying to figure out how to uh, disrupt this terrible epidemic in his community. And, you know, this is somebody who's coming not from a health care background, uh, but just recognized the need. And so we see uh, it's something that is affecting all communities, but certainly has, has had a profound impact on rural communities. Uh, we also see the potential for um, Campbell's faith legacy, our mm-hmm. relationship to churches, as being a really powerful uh, potential catalyst for change, especially in rural places. So how do we help as a university uh, create leaders, both from our students and the next generation, but also working with partners in the community to uh, mobilize uh, faith communities and being uh, really uh, partners in health uh, in rural places. Okay, so let's let's all say it five times real fast. Rural Oral Health Summit. Uh, rural, um, I can't. I can't. I, I, I get stuck on just the word rural. I have it's never been able word. to say that yeah, word. So, um, so this health summit is, uh, as the name states, um, it's interesting because Campbell does not have a dental school, uh, but yeah. you are you are um, your department is leading a conference. It's and you've got professionals from all over the country coming to speak to this yeah. thing. Um, tell us w- the idea, how that came about, and what you hope this summit, uh, what what you hope the attendees get out of this one day of um, rural discussions on oral health. Yeah, we're really excited about this, and and it is important to clarify. I was because Campbell's growth has been. Uh, so intense lately in the health sciences, I actually was sharing uh, about the summit with some colleagues from other universities, and they said, we didn't realize that you were starting a dental program. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. <laughs> no, no, this is not, that is not the announcement we are making. Maybe. Um, maybe one day. but Maybe. <laughs> but no, this isn't a dental summit. It's a public health summit, and it's a, it's a summit about oral health as a public health issue specifically in rural communities. But um, if I might, you, you know, one of the things is why, why focus on oral health as a, as a particular topic uh, within rural health. And the challenge is that a lot of people see oral health almost as a cosmetic issue. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, your pearly whites or about that Hollywood smile. Um, our keynote speaker is Mary Otto. Mary is a, a veteran uh, Washington Post journalist who in 2007 did a story about Diamante Driver. And if you don't know his story, this, the, the piece that she wrote started with the sentence, on Sunday, 12-year-old Diamante driver died of a toothache. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like a sick joke, but it's the reality. And what happened was that this, this poor kid, for lack of a dentist, died uh, of a bacterial infection that was a result of uh, you know, just untreated tooth decay. And so Mary, you know, got, was intrigued and, and just her heart was broken by the story. So she focused in a, a series of articles and then that became a book, a book length work looking at, it's called Teeth, looking at oral health in America. And so we want to make that statement that this is not just about cosmetics, although there are interesting questions to, to talk about there too. Um, but it's a part of overall health. Um, some of your some of the listeners to this podcast might be surprised to learn that North Carolina has one of the highest rates of emergency department visits that are the result of some dental problem. Yeah, and it's one of the fastest growing rates in the South. Um, and so we've got Bill Atkinson coming, who is who has built has a career in as a hospital administrator dealing with this problem of 
oral health problems presenting in emergency departments. And you don't have to know much about health finance to know that's a really expensive way to treat um, dental problems. And so, and, and the other thing that we want to bring out by making this public health summit about oral health is it's across the lifespan. In North Carolina, one in five kids in rural kindergartens has untreated tooth decay. I mean, think about that. One in five. One in five. I mean, so if you're if you have a child or niece or nephew or grandkid in kindergarten in a rural school in North Carolina, four or five of the classmates of that child are sitting there every day with untreated tooth decay. I was uh, listening to a, a dentist from South Carolina who did school-based work, and he said that he would bring students in to, to work on their teeth and numb them. And he said about 30% of the kids would just go right to sleep <laughs> because they've been just dealing with that pain yeah. for so long to, that to relax that pain was enough to just, they went to sleep in the chair. So, I mean, you got at that end of the spectrum, and then you've got one in five adults over 65 in North Carolina don't have a single natural tooth left. Yeah, oh, wow. and... And it's not just a problem in North Carolina, but yeah. uh, in, in preparing for this interview, I, I did see that North Carolina, um, despite the fact that we have excellent colleges and universities throughout, sure. throughout the state, we are one of the worst uh, per capita population, dentists per, popula- you know, per capita population in the, in the nation. Right. Um, so why is that? Well, in, it's a range of things. So one of the things that we'll focus on in the summit is thinking about this workforce issue. Um, yeah, we're, we're ranked about 47th out of 50 uh, with a number of dentists per capita. That's not an exciting stat. If you're a North Carolina resident, that should really call you to action, um, to concern. And it has to do with a lot of things, but not the least of which is that we've got to be creative in how we overcome these challenges, particularly in rural places. we got three counties in North Carolina that don't have a single dentist. Can you imagine oh, that? Oh, my there are five counties out of the 100 who have the majority of dentists, and the rest of the rural counties really are, are um, having a difficult time. So how do you deal with that? Well, one of the things that I'm excited about is that we're bringing in all these innovators, as you mentioned, from all across the country, from here literally to Alaska, that are figuring out solutions to this access problem. And so we'll be sharing those. We'll be hearing directly from people who are working on this access problem in Alaska, Louisiana, and West Virginia. And, and then at the end of the day, we're going to have a policy uh, discussion with panelists to say, you know, would, would these things work in North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Should these policies be adopted at the national level? How could we try to create better systems that result in better health outcomes for these kids, adults, everybody across the spectrum as it relates to oral health? So this is a summit for the decision makers who need to start addressing this issue pretty much or um, – because uh, from what I understand, it is a problem of of not having enough dentists maybe in our state, but also just the majority of our pop- – the number – percentage of our population who um, just don't even realize that – what a yearly checkup does for them. Yeah. I, I went – I went several years in my twenties. Not yearly, every six months. Well, see, I'm I'm yeah. I'm getting better. Now, yeah. I think I'm at six months now. But I went through my twenties, and not seeing a dentist was a pride point for me because I was scared to death of the dentist. And yeah. then, and then my early thirties saw one. He said, "Yeah, you should have come see." No, you, uh, <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, yeah. that's one of those things that sort of. Uh, we laugh about, but it's real. We, this fear of the dentist is, yeah. is an issue. Another thing is you may have a dentist, but can you go see that person? Um, do you have, I mean, uh, we've gotten the 
health insurance uh, uninsured rate down to about 10% in North Carolina. But dentally uninsured, that pops up to about 25, 26, mm-hmm. 27%. It's still an option for a lot of people, and they see that extra, what, seven, eight, ten dollars a month, it. and they That's don't it. take it. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be a lot more than that for a family. So, right. um, yeah. So, you know, can you, or if you are on Medicaid, so many dentists don't actually take Medicaid. So you may have your kid uh, insured through either Medicaid or the the Children's Health Insurance Program that you might have heard about in the news lately, and and yet not be able to see a dentist because the dental providers aren't accepting that as a as a payment. So there are just a lot of policy yeah. issues that we're going to expose students, uh, professionals who are coming to get continuing education credits, uh, just community members who are interested. It's going to be a nice mix of folks. Now you mentioned earlier that your colleagues were surprised that we were starting a dental program, which we're really not. (laughs) Right, just to be clear. (laughs) Just to be clear, we're not. Um, But how many, do you know how many dental programs there are in North Carolina? Oh, that's an interesting question. I I would uh, be hazarding a guess that I'm accurate in just uh, UNC and ECU's program. They're definitely the best known. Yeah, it's only two I know of, but like you said, there might. And there are some community colleges that have... um, like dental hygienist. hygienist programs, right. And but, dental assisting. And right. what's interesting is that one of the things that 39 other states do, North Carolina doesn't, is to give um, better access to dental hygienists to work sort of independent of, of, of mm-hmm. dental providers. Um, that's an access strategy mm-hmm. um, that we're going to have folks talking about here. Um, we're going to have a, a person who comes from West Virginia doing school-based um, oral health. She's a registered dental hygienist and a faculty member at a uh, university there to come talk about the policy implications of that. There are just a lot of different um, approaches that might not be just increasing the number of dentists, which isn't a bad idea either if we can figure that part out. Well, Dr. David Tillman, uh, as I told you before this, this would go quickly, and we are out of time, but uh, I'm really excited that, uh, that you're bringing this event to Campbell, and I know there's a lot of people that are involved in putting it on as well. But uh, I'm really excited about it, and, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you come see us again afterward after some uh, decisions are made, and hopefully you'll come back with, hey, look what we were able to do because of the summit, and we'd love to talk about that further down the line. I'd love to do it. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation, and always excited to talk about rural health. Okay, one more thing, uh, date, time, where it's at, and how you can learn more. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, the date is February 10th. It's a Saturday. We're going to be going all day, so it'll start around 8.30 and, and wrap up around 4.30. Um, if, you, if you want access to it, you better know somebody now, though, because we actually are, are full. We're, we're not taking any other registrations. However, we're going to be sharing some of the presentations uh, on our social media as well as some uh, summaries of, of the 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 proceedings and those kind of things so that if you weren't able to get in the door you can still benefit from the conversation awesome thank you very much yep thank you
thank you once again to Dr. David Tillman. Uh, fascinating. I mean, we could have talked for a long time about uh, rural oral health and uh, in this summit, uh, but Dr. Prez, I was uh, um, joking earlier that I didn't go to the dentist much as, as a young man, but I did start going a lot in my 30s and, and had the... Uh, I had a root canal actually within uh, I guess the last two years and wasn't as bad of a process as as the nightmare scenarios that you hear from it so I've I've come around on on seeing the dentist I I've come to appreciate it in life on and, oral health care well oral health care yes and and uh, as we said you know off mic here you have a toothache it just it takes away everything it just it's incredibly distracting yeah um, you can't sleep, you ca can't eat, and can't so... Can't eat, can't think. So, and, uh, yeah, I just, um, it's amazing, and uh, uh, kind of my whole week seems to be about teeth right now, because uh, my daughter lost one of her front teeth, actually, a couple nights ago, and the night before, we tried everything. We got the floss out, didn't come out. We tried to just take it, because her front tooth was just kind of hanging there. <laughs> and no matter what we tried, and so finally she went to sleep, and uh, the, the couple, or two days ago, she woke up and it just fell out, so. It just fell out. Just fell out, yeah. You know, wasn't there, I believe last year, or the year before, where there was some news that uh, you didn't need to floss any longer? Did you hear that? I did, and that made me happy. <laughs> well, it's you know it's it. false. <laughs> well, you do need to floss. I didn't. I didn't read the follow-up. <laughs> I do recall going back, going to my dentist, following that news, and saying, "Hey, good news on the street is we don't have to floss." And he was like, "Don't believe the hype." <laughs> yeah, and our our dentist. The, uh, still, the only problem I have with the dentist is, is they try to talk to you while you're you've got the mouth guard in, or you've got and and he sits and my dentist in particular who who knows us from a few years back um, starts talking and asking me about my kids and I, and I just want to lay there I just <laughs> just knock me I'm not I'm not despite being host of a podcast I'm not very talkative <laughs> and I'm not much of a small talker and so especially when your mouth's already in this weird position that's just the uncomfortableness of it that's still what I don't like about the dentist so if they can start teaching that in dental school you know, how yeah. to leave your patient alone. I think we well, would all appreciate it. There more. are some dental dental offices where they have a TV set up by the ceiling or some pictures up at the ceiling so that you're laying there, you're just completely entertained. But there was something that you said during the podcast interview that I have a question about. Okay. You talked about, you know, being prideful of not going to the dentist for the first so many years of your life. Well, it's just like, I never got a cavity. I don't see the dentist. Eh, you How know. would you know if you had a cavity if you never went to the dentist? I, well, you know, <laughs> I didn't say my logic was flawless. I just said... Well, that, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. I was curious um, about the fear of going to the dentist. I wonder if there's... If, if men are more fearful of going to the dentist or if, if, if women are more fearful or if it depends on, you know, if, if you grew up in the city or if you grew up rurally, if, if, if there's something to that, that whole fear of the dentist thing. Yeah, I have a kid, I have a kid who, who likes going to the dentist and I think it's because he gets a little prize at the end or he gets the little toothbrush and <laughs> a, sticker. a little toy or a sticker or something. But, um, I, you know, I don't know where, where my fear came from. I, I grew up 
uh, I'm not going to say poor, it's not fair to my family, but we, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, the dentist was not a, was not a regular thing for us. It was so a luxury. It was not a, yeah, it was a luxury. It was a we went when we had to type of thing sometimes. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe I had a bad experience there. Maybe um, the scraping, I, I don't know. I might also blame Looney Tunes cartoons because they always <laughs> like... Like the car, the dentist in the cartoon always had to get the chainsaw out and stuff like that, and uh, or the big pliers or something. But so I, I don't know what, where my fear came from. But you didn't have a fear. You, you were. No, well, my my dad had some uh, teeth missing. I'm sure he's so glad that I'm announcing that. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was as a child. He. It was an, uh, I didn't have an option. I was going to the dentist and, and I was going to avoid any of the difficulties that he had. And so I do recall being fearful of going to the dentist only when I might had a loose tooth because I was afraid they were going to take it out when I wanted it to just come out when it was ready. Right. <laughs> I always feared the report, like, your son has, I'm sorry, ma'am, but your son has seven cavities. And I know ne- <laughs> it was never that bad for me, so I was fortunate, uh, but... I also, uh, um, I always wanted braces. I have, I have a one tooth in particular that just didn't come in right. And for years, I would bite my lip with it. And for years, I would bite like the tip of my tongue with it. And I always wanted braces. And, and now I'm just used to it. I, guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like I wouldn't be able to talk correctly if I got that tooth fixed. But I, th- I think that's one thing I always wanted, but that was never in the cards for us either. And I know if, uh, if my kids also have a tooth coming in like that, they are for sure going to go get braces because um, biting your lip for your for 20 straight years is just, it gets a little tiring sometimes. Well, I agree. I think that there, and also what Dr. Tillman was talking about as far as the difference between like cosmetic versus the health of your mouth and, and your yeah. teeth and being able to, to live are, are two very different things. But I also, I had uh, gaps growing up and I didn't have braces until I was an adult grown and married. And I was like, you know what? Now that I can afford it myself, I got some Invisalign, Invisalign those okay, invisible I trays. Say, did you have the big, the big metal ones? Or... No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. but, but yeah, but, but that was, that was what, what I chose to do uh, to address that same kind of issue as yeah. far as how do you feel about your, how you look? Well, Dr. Tillman was a great guest. Uh, like I said, uh, hopefully um, the summit goes well. Looks, sounds like it will. He's already sold out. So, or, oh my gosh! Or booked. Yes. I don't think they're selling, but he's already booked. And uh, so, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Unfortunately, I will be at a conference in Atlanta during that. Um, and I bring that up because uh, I'm going with a colleague of mine, Jonathan Bronsink, who is our director of visual identity. And if you don't know Jonathan. He designed the crest, that is the Kivet, that is our new logo oh. here on campus. He designed our new wordmark. He is the designer of Campbell Magazine, and he does a lot of stuff that you just don't notice, like um, graphics on our website or some of our brochures or uh, the programs you get at certain events. That's uh, Jonathan Bronsink, and, and he has um, a designer that works with him as well, Adam. But uh, I want to bring up Jonathan because at this conference, um, Campbell Magazine will receive uh, a handful of awards for its past year. But Jonathan is getting six magazine design awards, and he's getting an award for the branding for the, really? the Kibbit logo. And and this is the Case Conference, which is the Council for Advancement and something or other. <laughs> uh, but in uh, scholarly achievement or something like that. But uh, 
that doesn't make sense. I'll go back and figure out what that means. But um, it, this is a regional conference that is nine states. So it's Florida, it's us, it's South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and I think that whole region there. And this, he's winning these awards against the University of Florida's, the Florida States, the University of Georgia, the Georgia Techs, wow. the Virginia Techs, the Alabamas, and the Auburns, and, and those schools. So I want to uh, throw out a huge congratulations to Jonathan. Um, Congratulations, Jonathan. We, we have a lot of fun at these conferences, and those conferences are even more fun when uh, when you go and, you, and you're going to get recognized by your peers down there. So um, he'll be taking the stage in front of uh, 800 to 1,000 people to receive his award. So very happy for Jonathan. And uh, when you see the Kibbit logo here on campus, that is, that is all Jonathan Bronsink. So I just want to give a a shout out to him. And I know he doesn't even listen to this podcast, so he'll never hear of it. Course I'm he not, and I'm to not going to tell him that, that I'm talking about him. But I think I it's exciting. I think him. it's great to hear Dr. Tillman's project is getting Campbell's name out on the in the healthcare world out there, but also Jonathan getting yeah. Cam- Campbell's name out there. That's hopefully fantastic. He'll come, hopefully he'll come on the show one day and talk about, you know, the mind of a designer, because it is a fascinating and scary thing to, to go into the mind of a designer. And then one last thing, uh, Founders Week is the first week of February. If you go to Campbell social media today, um, we posted a video, a fun video, uh, about Campbell Giving Day, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, it's a very well-made, fun video, but it also gives you the what you need to do on Campbell Giving Day to help make that a, a success. And I think that's it. I think we're at, way out of time. So, uh, Dr. Perez, uh, thank you, as always, for uh, for joining me this week. And uh, You're welcome. Adios. Yeah.